Welcome to The Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance and HR to the strategic level it's supposed to be. This is a crazy time, huh? Oh my goodness. It's unprecedented. It is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this in our lifetime before. Right. We, and, we, and we probably, actually, we could again, or this could just keep repeating. I was listening, I've been sort of keeping myself away from the news as much as possible. I have literally times I'm allowed, I, I allow myself to check in. Right. Um, but where I find the most comfort is listening to famous epidemiologists and what they, you know, how they had um, sort of, they were, there were some people who were quite present in predicting this situation. Oh, wow. Tell me some more about that. Um, so there's one that's really a really cool one and I'll send it to you. And he was, he was um, interviewed in wire and he is, he's the guy that they say um, he's the guy that, that came uh, into smallpox and helped them to completely eradicate it. He's the one who has come um, into other things. Like he is an advisor to Google when they were trying to, they had that disease. They don't have it anymore, but they had this, or they had this group that was just um, designated toward helping uh, various diseases and disasters in the world. And, and he also um, is famous for being the advisor, the doctor advisor on Contagion, the movie, which is oh. considered extremely prescient. I won't watch it. My brother tried to get me to watch it, but I was not like, no way. I, I, <laughs> You're like, I no, thank you. No, thank you. I don't need that much reality here. Yeah, because so, they tried to make that super scientifically based, didn't they? They did, and it is, and he said it is, and he said he predicted. So you look at the numbers that he was looking at and what would happen, and he he's he's really funny because they're like um fear so this is what i've been telling my clients fear is definitely the enemy like if we get into that fear anxiety that what do they call it, the monkey brain if yeah. if we get into that loop then that's where that's where the danger is for us personally and for the community for society for the world and why why is that that the issue because because if we don't understand that living being fearful um, it is is absolutely the human enemy because it it's hopelessness and we can never get into that mindset. We can never we can always understand that each moment will pass, that this will pass also, and that we have to take it each day at a time. And that's all we can do. Um, he was asked, "Are you fearful?" And he said, "I'm not fearful, but." my age group, one in eight mortality rate. He said, wow. so I keep telling people I'm at a yoga retreat. I'm in my home in Marin, not seeing anybody. Right. So it's interesting to say, like he, he will not say that he is in a place of fear, but yet he believes that he needs to be cautious and take all the steps. And I do believe that collectively, you and I have talked about the ripples. It's my favorite thing to think about is, mm -hmm. If, if this is in culture, in our culture, in corporate culture, whatever culture, our, our family culture, if we don't walk the walk, if we personally don't embody and are not present with that which we are trying to impart, then what happens is there are little, there are little um, cracks, mm -hmm. chinks in that armor that we pass along and then eventually it's diluted and it falls apart. 
Yeah, it has such far-reaching implications in, you know, from sort of an emotional side, that hope is so important to hold on to, but also from like a physiological side, once you're nervous and scared, it starts right. to compromise your immune system and then you're more susceptible to the thing that you're scared of happening. Exactly, exactly, psychosomatic disease. We've been dealing with that in our family because, um, I mean, I'm, I think, I've, I feel like I'm a great uh, test case for this whole thing. Um, because of the clientele that I have and also my immediate family. My, um, I had one son in New York, one son in San Francisco. They're, they're also the age group. They're the, the, you know, the carriers, as they're saying, they're between 25. One will be 25 and one is 29. Right. So the two of them, my one son, he's so, he's so bright and conscious in some ways. And he said a couple of weeks ago, I need to get out of New York. I can't be here. He didn't, he couldn't really articulate why, but he knew he needed to. And he booked a ticket for, for himself and his girlfriend and got out. And they keep asking, her mother asked him the other day, how did you know? And he said, I felt it. I felt the panic. I felt what was going to happen. I felt that it wasn't being addressed. It wasn't being taken seriously enough. Right. So he had to, he had to self quarantine because he was too afraid to come into the family with my father, with David, my husband, with what, I mean, he kept saying not with me and I keep saying, I'll probably get it the worst if I get it. But um, my other son actually had someone in the workplace who is undiagnosed because they could find no doctors in San Francisco to test her. Wow. She was told you are not in our, um, in, in the test subjects we wanna see. We don't need to know, just go home and take care of yourself. What happened? The whole company had to be quarantined. So Sam was put in quarantine. Then what happened? His girlfriend was mad at him because then she had to quarantine. Well, then she goes in to get her belongings from her workplace and finds out that her boss got contracted it from her boyfriend who had been in Spain on vacation for a week. So this is what my family's been going to going through. And then we don't have testing. So we've been frustrated. Finally, um, Kayla got tested. Um, and we found out they're all negative, all three of them, wow. my two sons. And, but then we, ha then of course, somebody comes along and says, well, that's not reliable. So I had to go call my infectious disease specialist at Stanford, who happens to be my doctor who helped my son get through meningeal encephalitis three years. And I said, is that true? And he said, are we really going to live that way? Like, right. we're not going to live that way, are we? And he said, if I was giving you doctorly advice, he said, I'd tell you, okay, let them come down to Santa Barbara and then don't keep safe distance. Do that. And he said, Julia, if they were my children and I hadn't seen them and I'd been isolated from them, I would say, give them huge hugs and enjoy them and just live. And I'm like, what an amazing piece of advice right. from my doctor. So yeah. that's how we're You know, part of the frustration with this is those little seeds of doubt, like you said, that can sort of create these sort of cracks. In yes. Our yes. And coupled with the you know, the lack of tests, and then also how long these tests take to get the results. So you get a test, you know, a friend of mine, her neighbor has it, and right. um, the neighbor got tested, and they're like, all right, we'll tell you in seven days. So now she's in a panic for seven days. I mean, it's crazy. So by that time, too, then, because I'm such a thinker, and I'll intellectualize everything, I'm like, okay, but then 
it was seven days I was tested but then when exactly and I went into that with my doctor and I was going through it and he started laughing and he said of course you would be the one that would literally be well how many days from the point of and he said Julia we're not going to go there if she gets a negative test it's a negative test negative Move on. stick with that yeah what if I get what if I get it on day five and then my test come back on day seven and it says I don't have it but I really do have it and well what if the test isn't you know, whatever <laughs> exactly but exactly. I'm so excited I've been so excited to have this conversation because uh -huh. you know you are a mindfulness expert and like what better time in like our nation's at least recent history for this mindfulness stuff to really 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 take hold um. Yes. So we've been having discussion after discussion about this because um, it's an opportunity. What is it an opportunity in? It's an opportunity um, for uh, a, an entire culture. Maybe not so much our parents or grandparents, but our culture, our children's culture to actually have some adversity and learn from it. Will we? I was talking to a friend in Italy who's in Venice. It was the strangest thing. I talked to him last week and Massimo was like, oh, we're in our garden, we're doing this and it's a wonderful life and we don't really get touched by it. Three years, three days later, he's like, could you please video with me and talk to me about this? Everybody's dying. The, the person who owned the bakery, this, and it was literally like a switch wow. in his life all of a sudden. And then we got into those existential conversations about can we learn from this? What can we learn from this? I'm telling you, it's that fear thing. It's, it's understanding that if we, if we fear it, we will not be resilient. We cannot be resilient. Fear will keep us from that. Can, we, can you help your entire corporate culture to stay resilient and stay out of the fear place when they're hearing stories all day long? Right. How does that not infect them mentally, physically? Will we be able to help people down the line to learn from this? What are we learning from this? I try to keep a, a gratitude journal. Of course, it just literally goes out the window most of the time because you live in this la-la life. Lately, I've been doing it. I write quotes. I, I also, in my workshops, I always have every day we meditate and we set an intention. I really think this would be a time, but people are saying to me, my sister said, that is so ridiculous. What, you know, yeah, I'm gonna wake up in the morning when I'm completely stressed out. I'm gonna set an intention for the day. She's like, it's just to get to the end of the day. And I said, what if you, you know, we talk about rules and we talk about compliance and we talk about this. It all, why don't we set rules for ourselves? Okay, I can have 20 minutes of the news today. I can look at my news feed for this long at this exact time. I want to wake up. David said, I want to get dressed for dinner every single evening. And I want to sit down at the dinner table without phones or anything and talk. Okay. I was like, oh yeah, sure. Okay. But you know what? He will not waver. In fact, he wore a dinner jacket the other night. I was a little like put off. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll get out of my sweats and yeah. my, but I'm not going that far. I'm not wearing that. But that's a really, those are other things that help us. What does the Dalai Lama say? I will tell you, reading. Buy cases of books for every person you know, the Book of Joy. And the Book of Joy is the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. And it's the most beautiful tome. I can literally just turn it on and pick a chapter. 
whatever the chapter is, it's relevant. Today's chapter, I mean, the whole book is having happiness and joy in adversity, during adversity. Right. What two people to speak on that? The right. Dalai Lama, he even says that he couldn't be the sage that he is. He would not, they were just saying, Desmond Tutu said, I don't think he would have gotten the, the Nobel Peace, the Nobel Prize for Peace if you had not um, been exiled, had all of their books, their learned books when they were exiled to India, they were burned. Right. How do you deal with that? Do you crawl under a rock? No, we have this amazing, see I have chills just talking about this. Yeah, me too. Like, how do we learn from this? This man, his, his very being, if you listen, I have it in Audible and I have it um, in, in book form and I have it on my Kindle so I can take from it all the time and read to people. But if you listen to him speaking and you listen to Desmond Tutu's reaction, Desmond Tutu says, I am so humbled and grateful because I don't think you would be my, my beloved friend if you had not gone through what you had gone through. I would not have met you. I would not have experienced this. We could not have come together in these vast religions. They both, they both talk about religious religion is out the door. And Desmond Tutu says, I'm a Christian. You know, this is, this is what I, I am, but I'm not a Christian. You know, it's just, to me, those are things that remind you. And then, okay, great. I'm okay for today. I can help right. my clients, my coworkers, my family, my friends. I can help them in this moment with that knowledge. Right. And, you know, to your point about him not being who he is without having gone through that, you there can it is. take a sword without it going through the fire. And it's we can use this opportunity to your point, if we can incorporate some of these mindfulness techniques or utilize and understand what we're actually going through and not get caught up in the each day feels like the next day and we're in quarantine and there's so much yes. fear pouring through these yes. windows into our soul um, and take a moment, like you said, to be in that, to be in that moment and enjoy what we have for the day yes. that is and you know, allow ourselves to fear. It's okay to be scared, but it's yeah. also an opportunity for us to be courageous and to be that example to those around us. And to your point, to be there for your people and be, be there for your family and be there and see the silver lining. I was talking with a guy today and he was talking about how it's so hard to not fall into this sort of fear side and not, and, and not oh. fall into just, oh, you know, oh. ignoring it all and putting your, your yeah. in the sand. Yes. And I'd love for you to kind of speak to this sort of this balancing act that we have to sort of play because we don't want to like close our eyes to the reality of what's going on, but also we don't want to get sucked into all the negativity of it because of all the negativity that we can spiral down into. Oh gosh, that is, in fact, it was such an interesting thing. My, my, um, my sister, I love her so dearly, but um, I had her down before this was this was when we were just hearing hints of what was going on and um things were starting to close down i think it was right after i last seen you yeah. um i came down to santa barbara and i was with my sister and my niece the colleges had not closed down but while they were here every day there was like another school another and we're and and this was you know we're hearing things so when my sister she'll get in bed at 9.30, well, I'm really tired, I'm exhausted, okay, good night. And then she'll go on her phone for three hours watching 
the media. She gets into this fear place and then she believes, she convinces herself she can't disconnect from that because if she is disconnecting from it, she's not informed. Right. That is not true. Right. That is not true. First of all, one of the lessons of mindfulness is that information will get to all of us. We, we, we have to just believe that it will come to us when we need it and that it is there and available. That's an interesting but, angle, actually. That's an interesting point. Can you talk about that some more? Like, if so, it matters, you'll find out about it. That's exactly right. So um, a lot of people, and I'm not, I'm not completely there, but I've had, I've had times when I am there, and I've actually received criticism from people in my family. Um, actually, Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama say that your family is, is the most challenging um, group of people in your lives. I mean, they are. They're the most blessed and they're the most challenging. Right. But I have had situations where I will not, I will, I disconnect completely from social media, from news. And the interesting thing is when people think they need to over-inform me, oftentimes it really is not doing any, it is not having any positive effect on me. It is actually um, having a detrimental effect on me because when the information comes to me in time, when I, when I allow it to, we all know we have to keep a social distance. We all know that we are, we are um, sheltering in place right now or quarantined, whatever, whatever buzzwords we're getting. We don't need to repeat that over and over and over again. Yes, we need to take it seriously. I agree. But when people are telling us we're not taking it seriously enough, I just saw, I didn't even see what he said. I found out later because, of course, my sister had to inform me and send me the news clip. <laughs> um, I saw Gavin Newsom, and he literally looked hysterical. And all I could think of was, okay, we're finally going into the ocean or all of California. I mean, and I want to tell you, being in California, I've had... Yesterday, I was telling David, I talked to Italy, Norway, London, and um, where else? There was one other, like all over the world. So I love that I'm connected. I've been educated all over the world because people check in with you and they love you. That's the positive. Right. Let me, let me go back to something I wanted to tell you um, that I actually shared with my son last week while we were, he was, he, after he got home, he was quarantined out to the guest house and not allowed to come to the main house before we left. And I said to him, when you go on your walks, when you go on your hikes, I want you to look up and think of every single thing that you're grateful for and what, what is better in your life than it was before. Mm -hmm. Because there are things. There absolutely Silicon, are things. In Silicon Valley, I, I heard the birds every day. Imagine. Instead of freeway traffic or noise, which you cannot escape from any part of Silicon Valley because it's so crowded. Right. I remember, the, I mean, I was humbled on some days by just, I was also greetings from neighbors. I have, do you know that I had never seen my neighbors in wow. many cases, but yet walking up and down the hills of Woodside, people were saying, hello, be safe, giving people beautiful smiles. Um, I don't know. Yesterday was a bit of a fear day. We went on a hike and David said, do you think people think if they don't make eye contact with us that they can't catch it if we have it? And I said, well, so true. Like, excuse me. I go, let's try every time we pass somebody to make eye contact. Those are other things. 
also, I did try. And then I said to someone who was going by, I said, hello, how are you? <gasps> she looked so shocked. And then she was like, oh, I'm okay. How are you? And right. this is really difficult. And there was vulnerability and sharing. Right. That's another thing you can't have. If you're in a fear place, if you're in a place of anxiety, if you're in a place of panic, you're not vulnerable. You can't be, you can't be accessible mm -hmm. to each other. You can't be um, open and present. It's being present embodiment. That's another thing. Em embodiment. When I sometimes hear about um, what you guys are doing, I think to myself, like if, if every person doesn't embody it, there is a breakdown in the structure in right. the same thing in my family. And of course we all have breakdown. I mean, my, my sister, if you could hear sometimes what comes the mindful lessons that come out of her mouth, I'm like, oh, do you practice that? Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Yeah. So that's what I, that's what I would say is I really, really do think that there's an opportunity here for us to be better. My friend Massimo in Venice, who um, was the most positive, beautiful person and sort of has had this little dip in the last couple of days. He said to me, um, he said, but do we trust human nature to remember? And it was so interesting because I'm, I said, we have to trust. We, we have to believe that we'll be better after this. We yeah, have to. You got to trust that test. It's the you same. Have to, you have to. Another thing is listening to the book of joy is, um, and I've said this, it's so funny. Even when my friend's daughter had cancer and I was first going through some of my training and first doing things and she was yelling on my driveway. First of all, yelling about it and saying it in Zen is called naming. And what they do in that whole thing when they teach detachment, they don't mean don't be passionate. I think you and I have talked about like you and I are both, we're so passionate about life and living in our love and, and what we believe in. But when I really became effective in my job was when I understood and I, I gave myself tools and the permission to detach from it. And that's something that is really great. What I also believe, and I've been telling for years before I even was conscious of the lesson, was telling my children, this is a really hard time now, but this will pass. Nothing in life is permanent. That is both a really scary concept and the most freeing concept you will ever, because all, the only thing we know when we, when on the day we're born is there's only one thing we know, and that's that we're going to die that we're not going to be here. It's the single only definitive thing that we know. The rest is, it, we fill it in. Right. So that's another thing that, that I teach. Another thing is without adversity, if we're always sheltering each other and our children from adversity, the good times aren't as good. But when you have the backdrop of hardship, adversity, crisis, what we're going through, when we can't hug these people that we we care about even in the workplace i'm so physical like wait safe distance ooh safe distance um am i always going to know when i can hug people again and i can sit down and share with crowds of people in my community how how much more i will appreciate that right i mean there's so much right now you know kind of to your point 
there's so much to fall into on the negative side and get caught up into that fear. Mm. But there are a lot of silver linings. I was talking to a buddy of mine who uh, sent a picture of him and his wife having lunch together. And he's like, I never get to have lunch with my wife. There it is. All these little, these little moments, right. you know, this, right. this last weekend, we had like the nicest weekend ever at my house. We weren't running around and taking kids to practices and all that kind of stuff. We got to just spend time together and be kind of present with each other. And it was quieter and it was a beautiful day. And it made me kind of appreciate things slowing down. And right. I think there's a big opportunity for us as a country, as a people, as families, to not lose sight of these moments of positivity and these silver linings that Simple pleasures. they're there. And that, again, is not to bury our head in the sand and say, oh, this is a hoax or, oh, this is fake or whatever. Like there are people dying. We know that that's true. Um, but there's a balance to the, to the reality and there's a lot of positivity to find and hold on to in these moments. And, and there's, there's, as I was saying, that as scary as it is, it's so freeing to just understand that whatever is happening right now is supposed to be happening. Right. What a, you know, lamenting never helped anyone. I don't believe. I, I've tried to actually to think about that. Like, was it ever positive? No, nothing that I've ever lamented, nothing that I've ever allowed to just, just stick and bother me has ever had a positive effect in my life. Right. And we talk about, um, you know, naming, saying, I'm frustrated. I just did a meditation two days with a really wonderful teacher of mine who I'm actually going to be entering into a two-year mindfulness, like getting the whole that certification after getting my master's in movement therapy, which also had this huge component. But Tara was saying, um, forgive yourself, allow yourself, be, be forgiving and, and have some self-love. Um, we can't love others if we don't love ourselves. And that's such a difficult thing for so many of us to well, understand. Yeah, and I think I didn't really get that for a while. Um, I thought it was kind of a, kind Hokey. of a hokey thing, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but I, right. what I've realized is that if you can kind of get yourself taken care of and you don't have all of this sort of angst or this noise within yourself, it can actually allow you to be yourself, to right. be who you're supposed to be to the people around you. It's actually a way to, it's not a selfish thing. No, um, it kind no. Of sound, it, it, it at least sounded like that way to me at first, like who doesn't love themselves? It sounds indulgent, it right? Sounds indulgent and it sounds selfish and it sounds, you know, I don't know. It's it, until I, until it was kind of re reframed for me as a way to actually enable you to be a better servant to those around mm -hmm. you and be a better, you know, shining light in the, in the lives of those around you. Mm -hmm. It didn't really click for me. I love that. I love the way you use that, the way you lose, you use the servants um, at first I was a little like, I thought it was maybe like, wait a minute as, as a servant, but what are we, we all, what are we, if we're not that as a mother, yeah, exactly. That's exactly uh, right. To your, to your clients. That's what you're doing. I'm I, humbled by it. Yeah. I'm humbled by that gift to be a servant. I, I work for a mentoring organization, amazing mentoring organization that is, is really having a hard time sort of because they're so interpersonal. So we're trying to get zoom right. and do videos and whatever, but it's really difficult when um, we weren't prepared for this because we literally live um, hand to mouth and we're out there constantly. It's where I teach mindfulness in high schools. Um, 
And what I love is, it's funny though, because I've actually, I wrote all the curriculum for this organization. I, that, I was a writer before I was actually a teacher within the organization. I came up with so much of it and, um, and they have core values and they're really strict about their core values because Gary believes that if you don't adhere to those core values that the structure um, disintegrates the whole thing, the whole thing that I'm talking about. It's the bones of, uh, of whatever we're talking it's about. It's the bones. It's like my friend Massimo, he's an architect. So he said, um, if we build the bridge one stone at a time, and have that structure underneath then the bridge will last otherwise it will crumble under the people and that's exactly what gary believes um and in this this organization of like the rikus center for human enhancement is actually what it's called um we are he always said to me we are servants we are servants to our clients but he went too far and this was like 10 years ago when I was first writing and I kept saying, cause he kept saying, I would say, well, what about your employees? Like how, how do they feel? Like they're out there dealing with people with, with a lot of issues and hardships. Like, how are they doing? I don't care. I'm serving the people. That's what their job is. And I'm like, care what they're your instruments. Like the, how are your instruments? Are they fine tuned? I don't have time for that, Julia. I'm too busy saving lives. And I'm like, whoa. So, okay, you step think about back. it this way, you know, that's like a root system saying, I don't care about the branches. I'm just trying to take care of the leaves. Well, you got to yes. take the branches for the leaves to be taken care of. Exactly. And so what happened is it, there was some horrible breakdowns that happened in that. And he came to me and he said, oh, no, no, we're bringing people in to help us with our corporate culture. And I'm like, oh wow, what an amazing idea. <laughs> I never said anything like that. And he's like, I know, I know. I almost didn't tell you just because I knew you would say I told you so. But now, um, even when they would ha have their annual meeting and they would ask, you know, their 501c3 um, corporations, when they would have their fundraiser, it was all about the miracles that happened every day. So it was all about all the, the people that were saved and the kids that were saved and whatever. And I would be like, what about the people who are affecting those changes in other people's lives? People don't want to know. They just want to know about the miracles and all those incredible kids and the kid that had Lyme disease that almost died. I'm like, you're wrong. Guess what? The first miracles happen on the branch. The first miracles yes. happen with the people. And so now every year for the last three years, because people got sick and tired of just like, okay, one more. I mean, and it, but now it's like, who is affecting? those miracles right that's a more interesting story because then we're teaching self-sufficiency because we're teaching other people and this circular mentorship that he has is that i'm helping you and you're helping me but we don't know it's seamless because we're both mentoring each other i love that culture and it really does work yeah it turns into a sort of a self-sustaining thing that's it's what, that's what it does like true interdependency that that's right. It to persist. It's like that bridge that Massimo was talking about. That's right. That's exactly right. Why is that so hard for people to get? Why does that break down from, you know, that servant thing that we're talking about or being in the moment? Why do those things so, why are those things that sound so good when we read them, you know, on a fortune cookie or read them in a book? <laughs> right. Why don't they translate into our day-to-day -day lives? Um, I think there are a couple of, um, 
I think that it's about self-awareness. Um, one thing is self-awareness. Like, I, I don't know. I, I view you as a humble person, um, despite the, how, how much respect and what you do and what you, every day of your life, you, you seem to me to appear humble. I hope I do too, because I am so grateful to be able to go out and help people. To me, it's like, it, that is such, such a gift in my lifetime. I do believe in, in my experience, what I do see is I see an over nurturing. I see taking myself too seriously people outside over nurturing over nannying over taking care of we believe that we're all caregivers being a caregiver does not mean that i strip someone of their dignity i strip someone of their own ability to care for themselves it doesn't mean that oh you oh my gosh you guys say this all the time about even your employees like you're serving them they're not all like oh i just have to please Nick and Giovanni, like I'm not there just for, for, for these two at the top because they're, they're telling us we have to do it. Like you're there to, to help them. That's right. not a typical relationship that happens in our lives and our culture. Even think about families, think about parenting. Right. If we're always telling this, it's the way I always said to my parents, when I have my own children, I'm never going to say, because I said so, that's why. That never worked for me. Like, if I tell my children to do something, this is why I'm suggesting, like, you really need to do this. This is for your safety. These are the reasons why. This is what could happen. If I'm giving my children tools that will help them to be self-sufficient, aren't we finding that we're not doing that? I'm more, you, it's your turn to do it right. Because look what we've done in my generation. I'm looking around the streets. I call the same sister who, you have to meet her someday because she's absolutely amazing, but the same sister, she thinks she is the shelter in place police. She's like, I mean, every day it's like, and also my neighbor across the street, Lisa, she's the same thing, lists in text messages and phone calls. And I saw them do this, and then they did this, and who do they think they are? They have all, I saw four teenagers in a row, jogging down the street, don't they know? Blah, blah. So it's like, okay, that's none of your business. That is none of your business. Are it's you- control thing. Yeah, it's a control thing. So if we're always, so that would be the answer right there. You just said it. Yeah. If we're always trying to control our environment, then we lose control. Yeah, and I think, you know, just to bring this back to the mindfulness thing, which is, I've just been so, you know, like I said, excited to have this conversation. The mindfulness thing is almost, understanding where that bubble of influence that you actually have is and where that sphere of what you can control starts and stops. And it's really a lot smaller than I think we mm. think it is. Isn't it also perception? Because if I feel like I'm losing control, then I'm looking, that makes me look more macroly, right? Then I open it up and I'm looking, oh no, because that's not okay over there and that's not okay over there whereas if i just go and i narrow my scope and i say okay what can i control how am i affecting change right here or how am i infecting positively ah. those 
right here. And then how many people will they? I mean, I have been looking, so I think David's really sick of taking hikes with me. Besides my dog who said, please, he hid under the table when David got the leash yesterday and Bubba ran and hid under the table, like not one more walk. Um, but I think he's tired because I'm constantly using parallels um, in the, this whole pandemic, the parallels that, I mean, it's so brilliant, Nick, because if you really think about it, if I am, if I spend 14 days and I am, I adhere strongly to this shelter in place and I really, really don't allow anyone to come in whom I don't know from the outside and let's say infect with this virus, mm -hmm. then in two weeks, I know that this little group in my family, in my household, is completely clear of this. Right. If we take that and we exponentially, like I was hearing what they're doing, it's really interesting. I was hearing a South Korean story. I love these stories. Um, and that was that people who've done that, then they're saying, okay, well, we're social beings. We know that this other household who are our best friends outside of our immediate family have been doing the same thing. Right. Now we can socialize with them. Isn't that amazing? Because exponentially, if that keeps growing and growing, then we will, what are they calling it? Soften the curve. Conversely, conversely, if I have breakdowns in my shelter in place and who I'm, oh, well, I really, I want to do this. And it's okay if I walk with those four women. I've been doing it and they're really great. And I'm sure they're being safe too. I'm, there's a breakdown there. I'm actually not adhering to this concept. In mindfulness, if I'm mindful and I only control this immediate environment and I try to affect change, if I go in and I'm with, say, I've had difficulty, I think I've shared it with you, in an organization that's a bureaucratic organization that is very difficult in the over-nannying, the over-mothering. And I do have um, philosophical issues with how they're run. Right. So I've talked so many times to other colleagues and my mentors saying, well, but I don't agree with this and that. And they're like, well, you can walk away, but then who's suffering? And they're absolutely right. I call them my guys, my guys, my PTSD, my groups with PTSD, head trauma, spinal cord injuries. Well, they, they're, they're suffering. Right. What has happened in a couple of instances is I've noticed that because they are so dedicated to me, they've actually had to go against some of the upper um, structures, edicts. I don't think for me, then I have to analyze, is that positive? Even though I know that I'm pure-hearted, open-hearted, positive in my message, by asking these people that are dealing with a lot, for them to have to go against the edicts of the uppers, what, what am I doing? I'm yeah, just part of the... I'm not, I'm not affecting the change I need to. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a prioritization thing, right? Like yes. what's the important thing? Is right. it, them? is it the impact that you're having with them, with the work that you're doing with them? Or is it, you know, up, up, you know, flipping the table on the edict that, that doesn't resonate with you. Which I, which you get up in your own, I'm doing such a positive thing there. I'm going to go after that. Well, there's another side to it too, which is something I struggle with also, which is, um, am I 
then is it ego? That's another thing. Okay, here's another mind, you know, um, actually David said, Julia, you can just like, you could literally he, extrapolate out and out. He said, try to keep it narrow, but there, it's a beautiful, if I constantly keep myself in check and say, is that, is that ego, Julia? Or are you doing this for the people that you're serving? Right. Oh my goodness. If you, and then of course, sometimes you're, you don't have it in check because you're like, I'm not having too much fun over here. So I'm not really, I don't really want to like, I'm not going to question that right now because I'll do it later when I'm like ready to, but if the truth of the matter is you have to say, do I just love thinking that I'm so important or that I'm making such a change? And that's what happened to me in this one particular organization is I stepped away. And the funny thing, those higher ups were very upset that I did. And they didn't really understand why, because they kept saying, you know, the guys love you. We get only positive feedback. And I'm like, yes, but I'm struggling with, with myself because I'm seeing what's happening. And then I'm getting involved in things that, that I, that I, sh that I shouldn't be because it's not, serving my purpose here. I right. guess it's purpose, having a higher purpose. It's purpose and it's putting that purpose above self or yes. perfect, perfect purpose yes. of ego. Ego. Kind of, ego. Kind of moving that focus, you know, it's kind of this counterintuitive thing. When you're yeah. so focused on self, this fear of what, or this sphere of what yes. affects you sort of expands out. But when you can focus um, on others, that comes in closer to what you actually can control and your exactly. mindfulness sort of fills in those gaps. Exactly, exactly. And you have to just trust that, th you have to trust the process. I guess, you know, that sounds so trite. I mean, don't we say that all the time? Yeah. But isn't that being present? Isn't being present trusting the process? And, and that doesn't mean, so you said something earlier, which I think is really interesting when I say that, because we all, step away from the process and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, is this really working? I mean, after yep. two weeks, the entire economy is going to go to hell and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. So why don't we just all affect, infect each other? That's, the, that's another conversation. It's okay if you question that because you have to be an intellectual being. Therefore, yeah. you have to question the process at each point. If we just okay, the process is working and I believe in it and I blindly believe in it, then guess what? It could change, the situation could change and that process is no longer working for you. But what will always work for you? What will always work for you? Your higher purpose. Right. What is my purpose? Yeah, it's, it's, if you're pursuing that authentically, yes, then it gives you yes. the guardrails essentially to step out of a process and look at it intellectually so you don't, you know, find, you know, find yourself in a pack of lemmings running off the cliff. That's exactly right. I, in fact, I've been, I've actually used that. So I was saying a couple days ago, I'm just been going through like thinking about today. Um, and then it's like your 2020, um, what a year, so many opportunities to learn, teach and grow. Right. Transformation can only take place in the presence of wholeheartedness, which can only take place in the presence of vulnerability, which can only take place in the presence of acceptance. Life is not static. This moment is transient, impermanent. Freedom and calm in the face of adversity and pain 
will release us from fear and allow us to enjoy the transcendent transformation. Oh my gosh. I was the author. Wow. <laughs> so that was, those are like, my very like, when I can find that little, like, I was even thinking, a friend of mine said a couple days ago, because the last couple days I've done a couple Zoom meetings, a couple things, and I was doing this, and I'm like, and she said, no, you just need, that's ridiculous. You're asking too much of yourself. Why? And right, why? No. What, what does it even mean? Yeah. What does that even mean? Like, so what, what am I supposed to do? Just sit and, and that's lament? Enough. I've given enough. I've given enough. I've, I've given enough. <laughs> I, am, I am such a giving person. I need to take time for me. I mean, what a boring concept anyway. I'm so tired of me lately. Like, I honestly, I'm going to go give blood. So I am going to go give blood. I'm going to put everything on, I'm gonna disinfect myself and I'm gonna go give blood because they have this dearth of blood. I need to do that. I also called the VA office and I said, do you, want, do you need me to help anyone? I actually have three Zoom, just, just let's sit and center. Let's yeah. sit and be present. Let me read you a couple of quotes. Let me do this. I mean, um, that's right. What do they say? Um, a, a great thing that I love is, this all takes practice. This all takes work. This all takes intention. This is not automatic. I don't even, I mean, maybe the Dalai Lama just immediately was born and he had it, but I somehow think to you get know, to those the, books had to get burned. All that had to happen. Had to, it all had to happen for him to get there. So that's another thing that I, I love to say is when people are like, well, it's too hard. I can never get there. I can never be there. I had someone say to me, well, I, my, I, you are so far down the line of transformation. What does that mean? Like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm where I need to be at my time. You can come on this path at any time. I mean, we keep talking about kind of the same thing from different angles. And, you know, for that statement to be had is that automatic sort of comparison between, well, where are you at and versus where, where am I at? And, you know, they say the best time to have done something is, uh, you know, five years ago. The best time to quit smoking was five years ago. The <laughs> right. best time is right now, right? Right now, so, right. Just get, <laughs> so let's all do the second Get best. going on it. And, you know, we, we're going to spend our lives climbing a mountain if we want to. And none of us are ever going to reach the top of it. But that doesn't mean no. that we don't climb it. No. In fact, I always say, and I've said so many times to so many um, clients and friends and whatever. I've always said that every single day I face the mountain in the direction I want to go. And every single day I'm a little bit closer. Right. I will never reach the mountain. I will never reach the top, right. but I will, but I, if I have the intention every single day, I will be closer. And that very thought is comforting to me. Well, it's totally freeing. Right. Right. It is even, it's like the, the idea that this is impermanent. I was telling my son the other day, cause he's like, I'm so tired of being alone. You know, he's like, even his dog Maddie is sick of me. And I just said, um, wake up every day, be grateful for the day. And also know that it's not, that it's not forever, that it's, that it's, it too will pass that whole. And I also, I also wrote down a couple of days ago, too much attachment to a state of being or having things or having things too much attachment to anything, whether it's a state of being or things is yeah. not positive because it's actually keeping you from being right here right now. 
Well, those things turn into anchors, right? And yes. they end up um, ruling right. you. Yeah, and owning That's you. Right. That's right. I want to talk about um, this, this picture you painted of kind of getting a, you know, having your little group being totally clear and having high confidence that this other group is totally clear. And at some point, once there's, you know, enough time passed, then you can, without fear, get together and so forth. And I think there's just so many metaphors that we can draw from this whole mm. thing and everything we are going through. I mean, on the one hand, it's bringing us all together. We're all fighting this invisible enemy together, mm -hmm. kind mm -hmm. of like a war in some senses. It, it's creating it a of, of unity, but it's also drawing this, um, this metaphor for um, the type of contagion that can happen from an attitude perspective or from an energy oh. perspective when you're around somebody who's very negative or around somebody right. who gets caught up so much up in all these things that you're saying ultimately can hold us back, you can't help but start to absorb some of those things and kind of get infected by those things. And I wonder if this whole situation, this whole exercise we're going through is going to open people's eyes to that contagion beyond something that's sort of viral, but also in terms of attitude or in terms of mentality or in terms of mindset. It's an opportunity. Um, I was really, um, I've been frustrated in the last couple of weeks when you asked people, um, okay, well, why did you do that? And they'll say, well, because other people were. And then I was also, it's really interesting because even when it comes to, I believe, so that's the infection that happens. So if I see all my neighbors going out and socializing and being together, and then I'm like, well, they're doing it. Why shouldn't I? But I know well, no, 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 I'm, I have to adhere to this because I've decided that this is the way that I, this is my process. This is how we're going to get to the end of this is, this is how I'm going to help those ripples in the universe. Right. And if I, if I believe the herd, the herd mentality is a scary mentality. It really is. That herd thing that happens is, is not a positive. If we really don't check in with ourselves and have a deep rooted sense of our values, the ethics, the culture right. that we want to adhere to, then we do. Like for instance, when I was around that person I've already talked about, and it was a couple days in, I was a nervous wreck, and I was thinking, "Oh no, where's my? I better, I better go look at the media. I'm not listening enough. I'm not like I'm not paying enough attention to how many the deaths are we up to now? Exactly. What are the numbers? And and then I had to pull myself back from that. Boom. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Julia. That's not your process. Right. That's not your thing. That's not okay. And the funny thing that happened is when that person left, she literally said, thank you. You made me feel so much better wow. because, you know, of some of the things. Balance that her out. That's right. <laughs> right. And I felt like, from her maybe as my hair was sticking up, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, you know, and that's the, so that we've also talked about that before too, which is finding ways to get rid of that energy, whatever that energy is that's infecting you, whatever that energy is that's telling you, no, 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 this is going against your nature. I guess what we're talking about again is if I don't have a strong core, if my value system is not ingrained, if I don't try to have my family, if I do not impart to my family, my employees, my coworkers, even if they're not behaving 
in the way that I truly, truly believe is the right way. Right. I mean, there are, there is right and wrong. We know there is right and wrong in the world. There are, there are a lot of variations in different colors, but we need to just decide you're running a company. In your company, you have to, as in your family, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a brother, as a family member, you need to decide like how important is this that I have people surrounding me right. immediately. So for you, it's like, it has to be the people immediately below you. And then you have to have faith that they're going to um, make sure that that is imparted to those people and those people. And then if you see it, because you are the overlord, yes, you're the servant, but you're also the overlord. You have to say, wait, 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 hey, over there, what's going on? Yeah. And we have to do that. I mean, we don't have to be like the shelter in place police. And that's a very hard job, actually. She's really put herself in a very tough position right now. But we do have to. Yeah. Be the cultural. If you're going to be a gardener, it's on you to make sure that there's not weeds yes. growing in your garden. That's right. You have to be the architect right. of the garden. That's right. Um, where, what advice would you give somebody right now who's maybe a leader in a company, um, they're in the compliance function or the HR function, yeah. and they're trying to readjust, and they're trying to field all these questions from their, you know, the people that yeah. they're stewards of, um, all this worry and this fear. What advice would you give them from a mindfulness perspective to find a silver lining or to, you know, take advantage of this situation to come out stronger on the back end? Um, I guess that's, uh, maybe not only twofold, but immediately what I would say is don't give false information that you can't back up. What we all want to do is we want to give answers. And a lot of times we're not giving the right answers. We're not telling people, I mean, we're telling people what we think is the truth, but we don't necessarily have, um, I think that's what we deal with in the media. Like they're sitting there and they're telling us these things and we're like, oh, that's the truth. It's, it's not even close three right. quarters of the time. Um, so I would say when people are coming to you with their own fears, with their own concerns, take it down to the basics. Like what we were just talking about, like um, this will pass. We're, we're all in this together. Let me give you some tools. Let me tell you how to face the morning. I think I've told you, um, walk outside, look up. What do you see? Like come outside, go outside of yourself. Stop that monkey brain from happening. Give them the tools. You're not giving them the answers. You don't have the answers. Right. And, and if, we, right. if we say things like, well, I don't know. Ah, you don't know. Well, if you don't know, you're supposed to know. Why am I calling you when you don't know? But the truth is we actually do have the knowledge of how to bring ourselves away from being fearful from, from I, it's really interesting that you say, cause even in my own house, I deal with, I'm the one who wants to just always face everything straight on. I want to have, I want to identify, I want to name it. Like I'm just the namer. I want to name all the things and I want to face all the things. I live with somebody who literally would like to bury his head in the sand and like, no, 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 no. My ears are, you know, my ears are in my ears. I don't hear you. I don't hear you. You know, 
everything's fine, everything's fine. And then it's like, oh no. So that panic place is not a positive place to be. Um, and then of course, being, being that person's partner, you want to say, well, see, I told you that that was just not going to work for you or whatever. Um, we all have to have our own rules. I think if you have a set of, of rules that you use to help you and you find that they are positive and mindful, um, I love the idea of sitting and breathing. Um, somebody told me an amazing thing used for PTSD is taking three deep breaths and counting through those deep breaths. When people are up here, it's in your, I can give you the, it's, you're in your parasympathetic, your parasympathetic nervous system needs to be relaxed. The only way we can do that is with deep breathing. Oftentimes, even in daily life, like I'll stop and I'll start breathing deep into my lungs and out through my nose. That's something that I teach every single day in mindfulness. Let's not, if we breathe like this, or what does that do? The panic, the fight or flight, all of those things that we're trying to get away from are, are engaged. I gotta kill an enemy. Someone's chasing after me. I mean, something is chasing after us right now. That's true, but how do I mitigate that? Mm -hmm. Breathe, gratitude, identifying what I can control. What can I control? That the, what do I know? It will pass. We will get to the other side of it. What do I believe? That we might muddle around a bit. There might be some stumbles, but we will get to the other side of it. Those are the only things we can't give. We all want to over-inform. I want to over-inform. I want to give you all the answers, but I can't because I don't have them. So that's kind of the only thing I would say. I love that advice. I mean, what, you know, you want to talk about a sil silver lining. This got delayed until the heat of this thing. Right. So now we're talking about stuff that's actually going to be actionable stuff for folks and actionable them to hopefully breathe out some of that cortisol that they've been soaking in for a while so true. and get a better perspective in general and specifically around what they can control, what they can't and some hope. I mean, we just can't lose hope in this time. No hopelessness. Um, wow. We can never, ever, ever there. There are people that are trapped for months, for years in prisons Right. And what gets, what, what is the difference between the guy who's in the prison, ne the, the cell next to them dying in a couple months versus the person who actually gets out? What, what did, you know, they talk about Nelson Mandela. Actually, they were saying, I heard a story that he was a really not a very nice guy. Not a very nice guy when he was captured. He was kind of an angry, what did he come out to be? You Looks know? like a sweetheart now. Right, and he and everyone says he is. I also want you to. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote something really beautiful. I love C.S. Lewis too. Yeah. Um, listen to this and talk about. This is another thing that we can say is, civilization has been going through this forever. The fact that we would even be so arrogant as to think that we are immune from catastrophes and illness and virus and bombs and war and whatever we are in war, as you said. So this is. Um, I thought this is just fantastic. This is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human 
things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint. Actually, we can't do that right now. And a game of darts. Okay. Where we've been doing a lot of, I've been doing a lot of virtual cocktails lately. Um, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can even do that, but they need not dominate our minds. C.S. Lewis, 1948. Wow. It's the same thing. How appropriate. Yes. Yeah. And, and another that I, I'll share with you is, um, I have actually... Do not, do not be dismayed by the brokenness of the world. All things break and all things can be mended. Not with time as they say, but with intention. So go, love intentionally, extravagantly, unconditionally. The broken world waits in darkness for the light that is you. Wow. I love that. Yeah. A nost, just a, just a mindful sage. I love it. In my... My, and then you cannot cut all the flower. You, you can cut all the flowers, but you cannot keep spring from coming. Mm. I love that. I mean, again, it's just so, so hopeful. The human condition is hopeful. Right. We, we have a core of hopefulness. I do believe that if we, rem we keep reminding ourselves and each other about that, if we do share laughter, I mean, there's another thing that I, that I thought was fantastic. Um, dancing on your by yourself like putting on some music and just dancing letting some of those do, why do we have to participate in some edgy you know exercise activity why not just listening to some music and dancing on we, our own yeah, on tiktok on tiktok now isn't that fantastic <laughs> yeah <laughs> julia how can people find you and uh learn more about you or things like that um so I am currently, as I am not on any social media currently, actually, um, I am sort of, but I, I can forward and I did get, I will give my, um, I have emails. I can be contacted through the Rikus Center for Human Enhancement. Um, I don't have currently a website because I'm in between um, websites going from mindful movement to more of a, I, I, for some reason, when you, when you actually are led, um, I've been led into, I've just asked to do uh, a talk to 150 people about this very thing. They're all recreational therapists and it's just, um, and then they, they are probably canceling it. So they're going to, they want me to video. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, I don't really have the video equipment in Santa Barbara. I hardly even have internet, which is why I have to go to the den and find the best signal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, I, so I will have all that information. I can get all of that to you, but there's no website as of today. There are websites I'm just connected with. Well, very good. Um, I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you making time for us today. I feel, um, I don't know, I feel like a weight's been lifted after this, this, uh, this together. So I had a wonderful um, person who has been a mentor in my life, and he said, Julia, keep facing that mountain in the correct direction. Sometimes it will see the path, the transcendent path is often lonely, but incredible yeah. souls will join you along the way. And then you will find an entire community of like-minded, wholehearted wow. individuals.
So I, I try to remember that. That's great advice. And you're, you're one of those. I, you well, are, Nick. You. Absolutely. You so you're thank one you. of those people whose um, acquaintance I've made along. Well, I appreciate you so much. I appreciate yes, your time. Me too. I really you enjoyed too. it. Thanks for joining us on yes. the Experts. Absolutely. Take care. Bye-bye. Be well. Bye-bye.